Hi, my name is James Browning. I'm here to learn how to be a small group leader. I've been a small group leader in the past, but a few months ago, I joined the Small Group Network. When I did, I had access to some of the most successful small group people across the country, and I've learned a lot. So I wanted to share what I've learned straight from those people to you. So whether you're a new small group leader, whether you are considering becoming a small group leader, or whether you're like me and you've been a small group leader for a while, but just want to learn a little bit more, this is for you, how to be a small group leader. In this episode, we're going to be talking with Pastor Joel Donis, who's the Connections Pastor for Saddleback and Espanol. One of the reasons I wanted to talk with Pastor Joel is because of his experience, not only with small groups, but with dealing with small groups in a very cross-cultural situation. Uh, not only does he work with small groups that have a variety of cultural backgrounds, being from uh, Spanish division of Saddleback, but in uh, Southern California, he also deals with cross-generational. And just because this is Southern California, a wide variety of nationalities and cultural backgrounds. Uh, they have members of their church from South Africa and people like myself from the Midwest. So the whole spectrum of cultural background. And Joel has some great insight on uh, how to be a first time or new small group leader. Hey, how are you guys doing? Uh, this is Pastor Joel uh, from Saddleback in Espanol. It's an honor and a privilege to be with you guys and be connected on this podcast that's going to be helping you learn and grow uh, and how to be a better host and leader in your small group. Uh, I want to send a shout out to Pastor Steve Gladen and James for creating this platform where we're able to just simply share some of the knowledge that we've gained across the years and uh, be able to hopefully teach you and you're able to put to practice in your small group. So we're, we're excited about that. We're definitely looking forward to be able to share some of the knowledge we've learned. Uh, I've been at Saddleback now for a few years at the Espanol campus. And let me tell you, we've learned a lot about small groups, specifically learning of different cultures. Obviously the Americanized culture uh, is a certain way of doing life. But now when you make mixing cultures into small groups, we start seeing a different environment happening or a different culture actually being created in small groups. And, and I love it because our pastor, Pastor Rick, always says that the heart of our church is in small groups. So we strongly believe that, especially in the minority cultures, we see that sometimes a big church can feel too big but in small groups is literally where we get to have that to have that personal connection with people. We get to connect with them. We get to love on them and we get to grow together. Right. Uh, in Spanish, we say adoramos el fin de semana, pero hacemos vida en grupos pequeños. We get to worship on the weekend, but we get to do life in small groups. And that's ultimately the goal. So if you're listening to this, let me encourage you. It's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. It, God wants to use you to be able to just simply be able to do life with two or three friends and be able to encourage them and to grow together in your faith because that's where the heart of the church is in small groups. Actually, one of the things we do here at Saddleback is we believe in acronyms. So we believe that the word host is something that uh, is more than just a title 
It's something more than just something that we call someone that's a leader of a small group. But we believe that it has a meaning behind every letter. So the H for host is having a heart for people. Tener un corazón por las personas. The O is open up your home or workplace. So abre tu casa o un lugar de trabajo. The S is serve a snack. Sirve algo pequeño, una merienda, algo de comer. And T, turn on a video. Enciende el video. So today let me just focus a little bit on that H of host, which is having a heart for people. Tener un corazón por las personas. We strongly believe that it all starts there. There's no coincidence that H is the first letter of host. Having a heart for people goes a long way when you're a host of a small group. And I strongly believe that everything else is equally as important, but I believe it's important for us to have a heart for people because being in a small group actually encourages you to build community and connect with people. And having a heart for people goes much, much further than just necessarily not just putting a study together, opening up your home or doing a study uh, together that's going to help you grow in your faith. But it's actually holding back and having a heart like Jesus had for, for us, right? God sent Jesus to die on the cross and he did it be out of love. So I strongly believe as a host, we got to have that heart for people as well. And I want to encourage you, before you start looking into the technical of having to maybe perhaps build the whole study, having to teach a small group, think about that. Do you have a heart for people? Will you love on people? How far will you go to love on people? Obviously, here at Saddleback, when we train our host, we encourage them. Obviously, we're going to go ahead and we're giving you small group curriculum. We, we encourage you with training. But there's times where you're going to have to stop in the middle of a study and go ahead and just hear people out, hear their heart, hear what they're going through. And here at Espanol, we've learned this a lot across the years, that sometimes it's important for us to stop and listen to their heart, listen to what people are going through. And we've had small groups that have started small group curriculum, and they've told me it was supposed to be a six-week course. But now we're on week 12 because God just continues to stop us, interrupt us, and we, stop, we start listening to people's heart. And what I've noticed is that throughout the years, the more you give that space for people to open up their heart, for people to share what's on their heart, the fonder that relationship of community begins to grow in your small group. So I want to encourage you, have a heart for people, listen to them, hear the needs that they're going through, create some time, some space for you to pray with them, for you to encourage them, you know, see, see what's going on. Having a heart for people is not only praying for them, encouraging them, but try to fulfill some other needs. I, I've always said, personally, me as a pastor, if someone comes to church and they're hungry, yes, I can pray. God can provide. But ultimately, I got to try to fulfill some of their needs. And maybe giving them something to eat will fulfill some of those needs. So having a heart for people is sometimes people just need a space to listen, to speak. Sometimes people just need a, a quiet space. I'm a father of two children. Uh, so I know what it's like to get away and for maybe an hour, be surrounded and have conversation with other adults. So maybe you need to create that space and have that heart for people to meet them where they are. 
Jesus was the perfect example of that. He would meet us right where we are. So I have a question about that. I want to follow up. How do you balance, and I think that's great what you were saying, how do you balance listening to people and meeting their needs and, and being available for them with staying on track and not getting, uh, just not getting distracted? Like, you know, maybe they're talking about whatever TV show they're in or even gossiping or something like that. How do you encourage that? that listening and how do you encourage that open communication, but also not getting too far off topic? Yeah, definitely. That's a great question because sometimes what happens is that it, it takes practice, right? Like everything else, we got to learn how to guide conversations. And obviously there's going to be people in your small group that are going to be oversharers. They're going to overshare, right? They're going to dominate a conversation and not necessarily every one of their conversations is going to, lead you to a point of, you know, have a heart for people and listen to what they're going through. So you're going to have to learn how to sometimes reel those people in and have those conversations and bring them back into the conversation and making sure that they're not misguiding your teaching or, or, or the, the lesson for that day or the small group study. So knowing when to guide the conversation back. Okay. Um, sometimes as, as leaders, one of the hardest things we need to learn is how to say, okay, that's out of place. Let, let, me, let me reel it back in. Let me, let me guide back in. Let me still be considerate of their hearts and their feelings, but now we're going further than it needs to be. Uh, I'll share with you guys an example. Uh, we see this a lot sometimes in small groups where it's married couples. You know, obviously married couples, we have situations that happen. Not everything is perfect. And we've had these conversations where hosts ask us, hey, you know what, I have this couple that's really dealing through some hardship and they're starting to dominate the conversation and it's starting to become unhealthy. So I've had to teach my host how to be able to guide that conversation back to a healthy place and maybe lead those people to other help and make sure that that conversation does not become toxic in the small group. So that's going to take some time. Obviously, no hear people out, try not to cut them off, but also lead them back into the conversation of where you're studying. So just to clarify, as a piece of advice you would give a small group leader, is that when they're encountering that scenario, they should go to their small group pastor or their group's director of whatever they're called at their church. Most definitely. I think it's that um, you go to, uh, here at Saddleback, we go to our community leaders, ask for guidance there. Uh, if the community leaders feel like it's out of their realm, then they go to a small group pastor. If their small group pastor feels like it's out of their realm and they need professional help, then there's other sources we can lead them to. Uh, there's nothing worse than you knowing that you can handle a situation and not asking for help. There's no shame in that. That's why God has placed pastors and leaders to surround you to be able to help you in those situations. So you talked a little bit about culture and you come from a different background than a lot of our small group leaders and small group point people here with Saddleback and Espanol. I have a couple questions about culture, uh, partially because I've worked at Spanish speaking churches in the past and especially in the U.S., you face some, some challenges that are unique to Spanish ministry within the U.S. context, but also some challenges that are present with other ministries, but bigger in your case. Uh, 
Uh, how do you engage with culture and, and number one, build a culture within the group, but also engage with the culture of the people that are in your group, whether, whether that's a, a Hispanic culture or, for example, I've lived in various places around the country, Southern culture or Midwestern or, or what have you. Yeah, so let me share with you a little bit about what happens here in Southern California where we're located. So in the Espanol campus, we believe we need to reach three generations. So there is the first generation, which is migrant. There is a second generation, which is the children of migrant uh, parents, which are born here in the States. So they're both immersed in the, the culture of their country, yet the American culture at the same time. And then you have that third generation, which is the children of those mi migrant kids, so the grandchildren. Now they're fully immersed into the American culture. Now that may be different in your context, wherever you are in the country, but we have to deal with that, right? In the Spanish culture, we see that the culture is heavily focused on family. That is the big thing. So how can we do a small group where a family wants to worship together, wants to come together and learn together, wants to grow together, reaching three different types of cultures. So one of the things we've done at our campus is, obviously we need to understand the need. So for us is being bilingual, being, being able to have a Bible study that's both available in Spanish and English. So sometimes that takes either a video in English, subtitled in Spanish, or vice versa, a, a video in Spanish, subtitled in English. It needs to be uh, gravitating towards the need of the family. Uh, but we've also gone ahead and we've encouraged small groups to be able to learn what the culture is within the small group. So it might be, you said Southern, or it might be with it, whatever context of the United States you're in, right? For us, it's understanding what is that first generational culture. So what, what, what happens in their countries? So for example, during the month of September, it's known as Hispanic Heritage Month. So that first generation hev heavily celebrates that because it's Independence Day for them. And that's a great learning lesson or, or teaching moment to that second or third generation that are all combined in that group. What's a great way to do it? Then we go back to that word host, right? Serve a small snack. So we encourage people, okay, what do you serve during Independence Day of the celebration of your country? Bring that to, let's do a potluck that day. But 4th of July... The third generation is going to heavily lead that because they're, they're all about hot dogs, barbecuing, you know, lemonade, you know, so they, they, they lead the group during that time. So that's the great thing that small groups aren't necessarily learning only about Bible, which is obviously something great, but it's also learning about culture and, and being able to immerse each other in culture. And when you grow in your faith through culture, God made, made us unique and different. And that's the great thing. Let's celebrate that. And that's the way we encourage it in small groups. So how do you create a, a culture for your small group that is still inclusive of other people? For example, I led a small group in Nashville area that was very Southern, but uh, the husband of one of our members was from India. So how do you create a, a culture that is uh a culture of your small group that's reflective of where you are, but also open to growing and being missional as a small group. Definitely. I've led small groups that are very similar and it always starts with the attitude of the leader. For example, I'll give you an example. I've, I've been around 
uh, a few of my friends that were Asian and they've had me try things, food that are maybe out of my comfort zone. But I've had to, as a leader, show in my small group, if the leader is willing to take that step forward and be part of it and taste it at least, then everyone else is going to want to be open to, okay, let's taste it. And that's how you include people in, right? Accept who they are, who their culture is, because ultimately that's going to be acceptance into the conversation in the small group, right? Because different parts of life are going to give different inputs. So that's ultimately the goal. If it can start with something as simple as tasting someone's food from someone's country, you're also going to be open to listen to their thoughts and their inputs once it comes to Bible study. Have you ever tasted anything you regretted at a small group? Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I've tasted some very delicacy-type food. Uh, I think one of the things that, uh, not regret, but I, I, it's a story I can share with everyone. Uh, in the Philippines, there is something called a balut egg. Oh, yeah. I've had balut. Yes. So, uh, it was very different. I wouldn't say it wasn't tasty. I tasted like chicken. For those of you listening who are unaware of what balut is, balut is a duck egg that has been fertilized and partially developed. So it hasn't hatched yet, but it's not just a regular yolk and it's been hard boiled. So when you eat it, like there's pieces of the duck in there. So, and because it's a duck egg, it's bigger than a regular hard boiled egg. Yes. Everything tastes great with hot sauce. <laughs> well, that reminds me of, uh, a group we were in um, in West LA, we had some members again who were Indian, and in their apartment building, there were a lot of uh, first generation Indians there. And so they decided to have people over for Christmas. And they were believers, and some of their friends were believers, but most of the people they invited were not. So it was intentionally a very missional event because for many of the people coming over, they had never celebrated Christmas before. Uh, just because it wasn't a thing where they grew up in India. And so they had decided to make everyone feel comfortable. So they had everyone bring a dish from their part of India. And which meant for me as the white guy from the Midwest, that everything started off as very hot and then got way hotter. And so half the dishes there were too hot for the Indians who came from the part of India that was not into they're into spicy, but not as spicy. Wow. <laughs> so, and there was a lot of goat. I've, that was the Christmas they ate more goat than I've eaten yeah. anywhere else. But yeah, it, it can be an adventure. But I do think, um, honestly, food can be an extremely missional activity because when you make something that's from your culture, then really you're sharing a part of your identity with someone else, even if it's something silly or cheesy at a, the Spanish church I used to work at, we did, we used to regularly have nights where everyone would bring a meal from their country or whatever. And uh, so I brought wings because I grew up like three hours from Buffalo. And so everyone's like, wings? What? I'm like, that's my culture. That's right. my people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we believe that food actually breaks down barriers of communication. Yeah. So it's, it's easier to have a conversation with someone over coffee than it would just meeting with someone. And we always, we always tell people, this, especially in the Spanish culture, it's easier for you to invite someone to a carne asada or a barbecue than it is to maybe church or a small group. Because they, they would most likely come to a barbecue at your house than they would to a small group. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, how do you, um, 
how would you encourage someone to become more missional as a group? And how would you encourage them if they're stuck on that? Let's say they've been a group for a while and their group just hasn't grown or uh, hasn't, you haven't had a lot of visitors. How do you grow past that? So I've been married with my wife, Nelly, for 19 years now. And one of the things I've learned in marriage is that if I do the same thing every day, it's going to get boring. I need to try new things, right? So in small groups, it's very similar. You can come week in and week out and study and, and just focus on, you have a structure, right? You start off with prayer, reading of the scripture, and you go into your small group. I always encourage small groups to have one of those nights once a month where you do something fun. Get, get out of the routine of doing the same thing every week and just grow. Your, your relationship and your faith is going to grow when you have those moments of fun. And what you do is try something new. Try a new restaurant. Try, hey, there's this new film festival. Let's go watch a movie together. Let's go try, you know, let, let's go. There's a Chinese garden. Let, let's just go walk it. Let, let's try something new. Let's learn some new culture. There's, I'm pretty positive there everywhere we're at, there's free museums where you're able to go look at art from different historical backgrounds or cultures. You know, go learn, give opinions about it. And that's going to help you not only grow, but it's also going to help you appreciate different cultures. So for me as a small group leader, how do I find the time to get the curriculum ready, wrangle everyone to find a time, organize events, do all of that? How do I make the time to the commitment to do all of that? And I'm, you know, I've got a life, I've got kids and all that. So you got to be number one, intentional. And number two, understand that God's created us to be a body, right? Not everyone can be the right foot. Not everyone could be the index finger. We have different gifts. So use people in your small group to be able to do that. There's people that are great at bringing out a phone, going on Google, and finding what's good in the community. Let them take care of that once a month. Hey, your job is to find what's our next fun activity, and we're going to be missional in that area. Have someone that's really good at researching small group studies. Help them, you know, hey, can you give me a list of three studies we're gonna, we can possibly bring to the group and we can study together. Don't feel like a, as a host that you have to lead everything because if you feel that way, you're gonna feel overwhelmed and it's, it's, it's only gonna lead you to burnout. But the more you involve people, we, we use this a lot with our small group hosts. I am a huge fan of basketball. I am a Laker fan. That we recently won the championship a couple of years ago. But here's the thing. I have a jersey. I carry this with me. I am a fan. I've been a fan since I was little. But when they won the, champi the championship, I didn't get a trophy. Maybe Amazon forgot to ship it to me, <laughs> uh, but I didn't get the trophy. Only the players on the court got a trophy. So sometimes what you need to do as a host is include people to come on the court with you and play the game with you. Let them be part of it. Let them say, we've won this. We did this activity together. The moment they say you let it is you're not working as a team. Yeah, I think that that's super true. And I think about that analogy all the time, uh, particularly because I'm a LeBron James fan. And there's such a huge difference between LeBron James being on the Cleveland Cavs and like the superstar. Yes. 
and only winning one championship and doing it barely and and rest of the time not being able to pull it off because he was the guy to then going to the Lakers where it's a team of superstars. We don't think of the Lakers as LeBron's team. We think of the Lakers as the Lakers. And I think you have a good point in that your group shouldn't be James Browning, superstar, small group leader. It should be your small group. Right. That, that's why it's a small group. If not, it would have been called Joe's group. Right. You know, so it's, it's our small group. We're doing this together. So we encourage that. Obviously, in those moments, there's going to be moments where we're going to cry together. There's going to be moments where we're going to celebrate together. So be inclusive. Br- bring everyone in. And that, that's the best way to do it. So to kind of wrap up, if you could give one piece of advice to a small group leader who is new, and feeling a little overwhelmed with figuring out what all they have to do and getting things off the ground and getting started, what would that be? Yeah, most definitely. I would have to say, don't have any fear of failing. Um, One of my favorite Bible stories is when Peter's on the boat and Jesus calls out to him and he says, come to me. And Peter steps off the boat and starts walking towards Jesus. And I always tell people this, I would rather die trying to get off the boat to Jesus than die on the boat not doing nothing about it. So I would encourage you as a small group host to don't be afraid to fail. Don't don't be afraid to try new things. Don't be afraid to look at that new restaurant, try that new museum, try that new Bible study, try different ways of praying, you know, try different things that you can do. Maybe start a small group, you know, Bible plan where you're reading the Bible together every day, devotional. Try something new. Don't be afraid. Be adventurous. If you fail, we learn. And we get up and we learn not to do that again. But you're never going to know if something is successful if your failures hold you back from trying something new. That's great. Thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us. No, thank you for having me. And once again, uh, hope you get to learn from this podcast and uh, we're here to serve you in anything that you may need. Jason Bantoff here, Group Talk Producer, and I just want to say thank you for tuning into this special five-part series, How to Be a Small Group Leader. If this series impacted you in any way, check out our other podcast from the Small Group Network, Inside Saddleback with Steve Gleaton, Here to There with Carolyn Takena, Leadership Journey with Bill Search, and Reading Lens with Nick Lindsay. These release every Wednesday, so don't miss them. Also, are you looking for community with other small group point people like yourself? Join our Facebook group. This group has over 7,000 people who want to share and learn about what they're doing in small group ministry. Strengthen your group's ministry today by going to Facebook and typing in the search bar, Small Group Network. Just select Join the Group and we'll get you connected to a whole new community. Lastly, make sure you visit smallgroupnetwork.com for our free resources and blog. Thank you for listening.